<laughs> um, it happens like probably each time so far. I laugh when I start this thing. It's just super fun. I get really excited, and actually, it's nice to start off with a laugh because today's episode does talk a bit about some serious things like depression. And uh, I think we talk seriously about it. I mean, it's a serious subject. I don't know if we're, we take it seriously. It's good to be serious about some things, but we should all not also, also, also never take ourselves too seriously. So hmm, I'm just going to think about that for a moment. But before I get too far into what today's episode is about, you know what time it is. It's time for some beans. Uh, not refried beans or black beans. I mean, they're kind of black. And they're, they're, you know what? They're somewhere in between. The ones that I order, they're like a shade that is somewhere between a refried bean and a black bean, now that I think about it. I'm talking about coffee beans, though. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I, I just kind of do these off the top. I don't really come up with a strategy. And each time I find something, I feel like I find something new and exciting to talk about when it comes to my favorite coffee brand, Guadalupe Roastery. In fact, we recently released an episode where I got to talk to the founder, um, Fossbender, Brad Fossbender. He's super cool guy. So anyways, now that you got to hear maybe the man behind the story, he's the one that makes these delicious beans that I talk about at the beginning of each episode. Um, I'm drooling a little bit, even talking about the coffee. Wow. I am definitely a version of Pavlov's dog because... Uh, I just, I've been conditioned to think about that coffee and salivate a little bit. I must really like it. So uh, this episode brought to you by Guadalupe Roastery. You can use my name, which is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, to get 10% off uh, subscription order. Um, should work for most, maybe anything on the website. I don't know. Give it a try. See what happens. It's delicious coffee from the source. Um, there's all those different, you know, single source origin, whatever. It's pretty good stuff. Um, I have fun just looking at the packaging in my cupboard now. Like that gets me excited. They've done such a good job uh, with the company bringing it into uh, the new age of coffee roasting. There's like different waves of coffee. You know, it's not Folgers uh, instant stuff anymore. This is high quality, high grade beans. So anyways, enjoy some Guadalupe roastery. I sure do. Uh, It's a little too late right now. It's kind of late at night or else I would enjoy a cup, but then I won't get my beauty sleep. And, you know, I'm supposed to have caffeine after three o'clock unless some people do that. You know, I have a friend from, where is she from? From Turkey. I swear she could drink coffee at like midnight and then go to sleep right afterwards or whatever. So we're all wired a little bit differently. Maybe I'm more of a no caffeine after 3 p.m. kind of person, but I do like it in the morning. So today's episode, we have a special treat. She's pretty awesome. Incredible woman, Anna Shalina. She is a uh, like a high level entrepreneur, speaker, coach, author. She just came out with a new book. Um, it is really phenomenal. So I'm excited to introduce you to her. In fact, we'll just get right into it. But uh, today's guest, Anna Shalina, you can find her. She does a little plug or promo at the end. So instead of me giving her a plug and a promo. Um, if you listen all the way to the end, you'll get to hear her information on how to contact her. She's based out of South Africa, just a truly great person. And we have a quite a time difference here. So uh, I was talking to her on like Saturday morning, you know, her Saturday evening, Saturday night. And it was a true pleasure to get to spend the time and learn from her, sort of her approach to life, 
you know, again, we talk about um, depression, uh, the role of uh, like psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms in, the, in her new book. So hope you enjoy it. I know I sure did. And here we go. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It, 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 it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. There you go. All right. I think, I think we're flying. We're live. That's <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Well, hey, great to great to have you. And is it Anna or Anna or something else? Anna's perfect. Anna Shadina. Yep. Anna, Anna, Anna Shadina. Well, hey, great to have you aboard. And you're coming out of uh, uh, Cape Town, right? Right. Yes, I'm based in Cape Town at the moment. Um, usually I'm between Cape Town, Bali, and Barcelona, and then I travel to the States a couple of times a year for events and speaking engagements and masterminds and all sorts of things. But uh, obviously, not, we're not traveling all that much uh, these days. But so I'm like longer in Cape Town this time. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I've heard of that whole like uh, less travel thing. Like, you know, in the US, we're like packing stadiums again. <laughs> we're just like, hey, let's do this. What? <laughs> I guess, what is it like uh, there locally around events or gatherings? Because it's, it seems like it's been so different all over the world. Yeah, it's interesting. So they've just restricted. They had like a limit of 500 outdoor kind of events. Now it's back to 250. So they are all over the place with this thing. It's not affecting me day to day, I won't say. Like there's still some gatherings and stuff like that, but... In terms of travel, like I can't get into the States right now, for example, um, or Europe. Um, so I can get into like Mexico, Ukraine, some other places. So yeah, there's still some restrictions that I just have to be aware of. But um, it's also a great opportunity for, because I was traveling so much for so long, it's a great opportunity for me to just like settle, focus, work, write books, release them. Because like I always like, I kind of had this book brewing in me for a while, like years, and it had different names and different, you know, a book has a life of its own, right? You don't really know until it's like there in the end. It's such an interesting, this is my second book. So I've been through this process before. And so this really gave me that opportunity to like, all right, hunker down, get it done. And like, I actually really love it. That's incredible too. What, what it, like you can have 500, okay, 250. Who decides like 250 versus 300 or 275 is too many people, but 250 is okay. That's, it's, we've, it's been so strange how, right? Like just oh, how things unfolded and um, mm. talking about, so I, your book, I mean, we'll definitely get into that too. Uh, it makes me think, in terms of the the impact the last years had on people, like you found a good space to create. And I saw a funny tweet the other day that said I, I got, you know, it was like someone that had a job interview. And they said, one of the questions on my job interview was, you know, what have you done during the pandemic? Like how much personal development have you done or, or whatever it was? And they were just kind of blown away because the person essentially implying like I've been pretty sad and torn up and not doing a whole lot. But uh, it's been individuals have also handled it very differently as as well. 
Um, I, I guess your book, let's, we'll just jump right into that. Cause I, I read it. It's uh, fantastic. I was very impressed. Um, and in California, like I live in California there, I have a, a Google search that pops up in my email with like weekly results of certain um, keywords. Just, I want to keep track of certain things and how they're playing out in the culture. And one of them is psilocybin. And mm-hmm. so that is, uh, you know, Oregon, California, different states in the U.S. are are now, you know, ever since Johns Hopkins came out with that, that published research of this is a really helpful thing, beneficial thing for many people around depression, there has been sort of a, I don't know if movement's the right word, but definitely more information where people are getting more, more comfortable with it. How, how did you begin your quest into uh, depression or, or wanting to help others or, or really the, the book in general, everything, tell it all fire away. <laughs> everything. How yeah. much time do we have? Right. Okay. So um, by training, I'm a human behavior specialist. So I kind of always bridge the gap between entrepreneurship. My first book was very much entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, a lot of mindset stuff too. And then I bridged the gap between entrepreneurship and then human behavior and what makes us tick. And so I've been coaching in this field for many years with like thousands of clients coming through my doors. And I've been on like suicide watch sometimes, like, you know, with some like clients and like it gets, it gets intense sometimes. And um, so what makes humans tick our human potential Um, from, from a very young age, I had this feeling that things were like systems upon systems. And if I could just figure out like the, the corner, like, you know, the, the um, code, like the core code, then I could like replicate it in many different areas and like humans, business, life in general, um, health, you know? And so, um, through the years, and I've also had my own, like not only like helping others in the coaching practice, um, I've also then had my own experiences with life and ups and downs and several midlife crises and um, pivots and all sorts. And I, I, I need a life that's, um, I don't hang out in my comfort zone very much. So it asks a lot of me, right? So I'm constantly extending and express like, yeah, overextending sometimes myself as well. And so like the repercussions of that then sometimes a lot of questioning, like existential questioning, Derek, like a lot of that. And you know, what's interesting. It was so funny. Um, for one of my dad's birthdays, I found like cassettes, you know, those camcorder, um, hand record, like recorders that we had as kids. And my dad used to record us when we were really, really young. And there was this one. So for my dad's birthday, I converted it all to digital And then I started watching some of these family videos and there was this one video that was so curious and and like, I was like, wow, I was so blown away. And basically what was in it was my dad, I was like six or seven years old at the time. And my dad would ask me questions like, what is love? Who is God? Um, What, like, what's the purpose of life? And so like, in a sense, I was like, oh my gosh, I was programmed in a, in a way, or like I was infused with this curiosity for like some of the deepest, sometimes darkest, like questions and quests from like a very young age. And then 
Um, I started reading like personal development books when I was 10 from like Rich Dad, Poor Dad to Who Moved My Cheese to like, you know, so like then I started going to like every personal development seminar under the sun from like 17, 18, from like Malaysia to the States to South Africa and really like finding things from different teachers. And then I had one main mentor who was Dr. John Martini for about eight years and then I'd supplemented with other things and like, um, yeah, from metaphysics to meditation to everything in between, kind of like I was like enthralled in it. And finally, after having my like several of my own businesses, I find myself mindset coaching and um, and yeah, really like being interested in mental health more and more. Um, my client the other day actually asked me, she's like, okay, you've coached thousands of entrepreneurs. Like, are entrepreneurs happy? <laughs> and and I was like, wow, like what a question, you know, like, and so like to close that loop, kind of like we talked about desire doesn't go anywhere. Like desire is, a, is part of the human condition. And so it's actually like, what's our relationship with desire that determines whether we're happy or not. So like if the desire runs us and we're kind of like the slave and it's the master, then you can quickly get into like, I need this and that and the next thing, right? And like every time you kind of hit that milestone or that goal, it lasts like that high of that, like reaching it lasts like little, like yay much. And then you're like onto the next thing, right? Whereas if you use desire as like a more in a gamified way where you're the master and you have more mindfulness around that and stuff like that, you can cultivate lots of happiness with it. But anyway, so that's like a bit of a tangent. And then um, it was interesting because, yeah, the the close, closure of the world, pandemic, whatever, um, I found myself in like a spiritual awakening uh, crisis as well as expansion so the crisis led to then the expansion which then led to the book um because yeah it, like I started questioning everything even more <laughs> you know what I mean and um it was actually birthed the very first premise of the book was god like what would I like people to know about my depression you know like how would I like to be helped because I was even though I had like every personal development tool under the sun, I still was afraid to ask for help. And I still didn't have that courage when it came to me. It was much easier to like help other people. Right. And so, um, so that's where it was born. I was like, okay, well, like, you know, this is what I wish people would know about me. And then maybe if someone they love is going through a hard time, then this could help them too. you know, like give a perspective, some tools, some tips. Um, so it's, it's a very personal story with very practical things of what I did, plus my experiences with the coaching clients and stuff like that. So it's pretty packed. There's a lot in there. <laughs> there is. It seems like, I mean, that's incredible to hear, you know, reading, uh, well, books at all at 10 years old. There's a lot of 10 year olds that don't make it into books, but to be reading, reading like Who Moved My Cheese and, and Robert Kiyosaki at 10 years old, that's, you've been training for, uh, what you're doing right now, your your whole life essentially, it it seems like um, it's really that's really incredible. You know, depression itself is is an interesting word because I know my own like personal experience in terms of uh, family. Like there was a point where I was studying psychology at university in my my early mid twenties, and you know, there's this this syndrome that the professors describe when you start reading about all these different 
things that happen in psychiatry, psychology. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I have this, I have this. And, and then the professor, the next lecture is like, by the way, as you're reading this stuff, don't attribute everything to yourself, you know, but you start thinking about family members and, and this. And I, I find that what that actually did to me was, I don't want to say scare me, but it, it made me very nervous of the word as a whole, because, and you talk about words and the power of them in your book, uh, to even assign that type of a label to a feeling, because I, part of my personal journey has really been to um, reduce the the assignment of labels to to events to, to things like that so that I can stay very neutral which I, I find helps bring me a lot of consistent joy if you just go you know that's another one of another one of those so how have you embraced that word in a way that has helped uh, maybe yourself or or even others uh, work work through it and, and beyond it that is such a beautiful question, and I can so relate with the label thing. Um, I have a family member who's like deep in um, like alcohol addiction, for example, and so we, as a family, research a lot about like how to help, and there's plant medicine stuff for that too. But um, you know, AA is like the societal norm, and the one thing I always like is an internal gut thing. I was like, I wouldn't want to show up, say like, hi. I'm Anna and they labeled myself like I'm an addict or an alcoholic because that feels very limiting. And it's almost like I'm creating, not cursing myself to it, but like, and, and I have lots of respect for the program and the people that it works for. This is a personal thing that I had about labels, you know, and um, for a long time with like feeling depressed, I had very, so much resistance to that label because I was like, I'm privileged. I have everything I could ask for in the material world. But as you saw in my book, it was a spiritual quest that was actually being asked of me, right? So my spiritual needs weren't met, like my physical and um, survival needs were, like thank you know, all the all the lucky stars and the sport that I have. So like, I was like, I don't have a right to be depressed. Like what the actual F, you know? And so for a long time, I was like, this is just indifference or I'm feeling apathetic. And there were some friends who started to like tell me, it was like, oh, Anna, like this actually starts it's starting to sound like depression, you know, it's like the apathy and the indifference. And, um, and I was like, no, but I, I meditate, you know, and like I do all things and I go to retreats and I go into silence and like, oh, like, you know, so I had, a, it was like this contention. I was like in the ring with this word and this label. And at the end of the day, you know, um, I actually had to get bad enough, a couple of things. Number one, like bad enough for me where like, in the book I write about like not being able to get out of bed, like just not having like the physical or mental and like I would just like to do the bare minimum for business and work and stuff like that. And a lot of shame around that too. And I was like, okay, Anna, like let's actually like address the elephants in the room and let's start to talk about it. And, um, and the thing is that shame around like depression or addiction and all these kind of things that feel very heavy, shame can only live in the darkness. Like once you shine light to it, it's like a shadow, right? Like we can be afraid of our own shadows. Like as little kids, if you saw your shadow, you could be like really scared because like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? 
And as soon as an adult then helps you like shine a light on it and you're like, oh, it goes away as soon as you take a torch and shine a light on it. And it's the same thing with shame around these words. And then I started like to frame it for myself where I'm like, well, the whole I is not depressed. So I'm having a depressive feeling. I can have a depressive morning, depressive episode, but that comes to an end, you know? And so I started to frame it in a way that was like palpable and digestible to me where I didn't feel boxed in and didn't feel like, no, now you're depressed. Like now you have to go to a psychiatrist and get meds. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't interested in that route. Um, I was interested in like, okay, what is this? What is this? What is this here to teach me? You know? And um, yeah, I have a very like core belief in like, must be here to teach me. There must be also the impermanence of nature. Like we are part of nature. We are nature, not just part of it. So it's like, if there's a beginning, there has to be an end. So I'm like, okay, how do I uncover that? You know, so those kind of thought experiments help me um, first identify with it, but then also identify with it in a way that suited me or like felt good to me, you know, that I could be like, oh, okay. Like I'm not a depressed mess, even though it feels like it in the moment, there is a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. And also it's here to teach me something. Let's dive into that. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you, sometimes you do have to call something what it is and, and acknowledge it. But what I'm hearing from you is that you really distance yourself from it. You said, I am I'm me, I'm strong, I'm a person, I'm a spiritual being, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of adding some extras in there. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to take that as what, what you were saying, it's kind of what I'm hearing. But, uh, and, and that is depression, which is a big difference. Like that, that mood, that feeling, that state that I was in or, or can experience, but the minute, and then this is um, why I, I'm uh, really big on, on those words, especially when we're describing ourselves, the minute we say, I am depressed, that is a, a box you've put yourself in. And that can, last, that can last your whole life if you continue to say that versus, hey, that was depression. How do we make adjustments so that it's not as, as prevalent in our lives? How do we make adjustments so that maybe it's a, a distant past memory um, do you believe that with the right tools, because there's, I mean, there's also the, the physical aspect of this, right, in terms of hormones, nutrition, all of these, you know, biochemistry, these things. And uh, I, I don't know that I've quite figured out. Um, I can't, can't say that I have or haven't quite figured out what comes first, the thinking or the after results of the um, how the physical aspect works. But do you believe that it is something that, that with the right tools or, or routine or habits or whatever it is, that it is um, something that can be gone forever for most, if not all people? Oh, Derek, that is a loaded question. <laughs> that is a big one. Like, do I believe for most of all people? I can't speak for most of all people. Um, I can speak for myself. And first of all, let me preface this with saying, I believe anything is possible. So if another person chooses to take on that belief and also subscribe to that belief, and by the way, with beliefs, I'm big on subscribing to beliefs. So 
sometimes I'd subscribe to believe and then I can unsubscribe from it because like I can like I'm fluid and I'm growing and I'm evolving. And then I can click that button just like at the bottom of an email and say like, no, thank you. You know, like this is no longer my belief. I now choose an evolved version of a belief or a different one, you know, and like that's kind of a final way I look at beliefs because sometimes people also over-identify with beliefs. Like I believe this and this is like, this is me. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, you know, how about the subscription model to beliefs? Like, I think that's pretty cool, like to look at it that way. So I subscribe to the belief that anything is possible. Um, just because that's what my personal life has shown me. Like, I also can see how when someone's life has shown them that not everything is possible, that that's their subscription, you know? So I cannot impose mine onto theirs kind of thing. Like you're free to believe what you you want to do. But should you choose the subscription of anything is possible, like then of course in that realm, um, like health mentally and physically is possible um, and more than possible. You can go like beyond your wildest dreams. Um, it's interesting you say like, you know, what comes first, the physical or the metaphysical? So meta means beyond, so like beyond what you can see. So it's like the hormones, the serotonin, the dopamine, um, you know, all the things that antidepressants like try to normalize or stabilize or, you know, make into. But it's interesting because most of the time when they like measure for depression, there's a lot of gaps in that science, a lot, a lot, a lot of gaps, um, a lot of inconsistencies. And um, it just makes me like ask questions, you know, but um, what I believe again is that most of the time it happens like at the exact same time, but we can only witness one because our focus as a human can be on one thing. So if our focus as a human is on the physical, then we're going to then express like and see and witness the physical things because we can have lots of different kind of data come at us, but we can only consume like a certain spectrum, right? Because we have limited senses. So what comes first, the physical or the metaphysical, it happens simultaneously, um, if not almost simultaneously, but we can only choose a focus at one time because of our limitations as a human being. That, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, thinking back through history too, there's actually this really neat tool on Google and you can type in a word and it goes back and it, I don't know if it's just books that have been uploaded or documents over time. However, they sort of uh, collect this data and it shows you a graph for, for usage and some words that were popular and then they weren't popular and then they're popular again. I, I almost wonder, you know, what it would look like to, to type depression in there, because do, do you think this is more of a, a, a state that you think it's something that we've experienced as humans for thousands of years or our mm-hmm. lifestyles in the past where we were working in the fields and more hands-on and in tune with nature and, and living more in tribes. I'm, I'm sure there was sadness and maybe even extended periods of sadness at the the loss that came with the harsh ways of living once upon a time. And it still exists in, in you know, a, a, an amount of the, the world today as well. But do you think it was uh, something that was, I guess, just not as prevalent and also that didn't last as long 
as it does now because of how we can avoid dealing with things, with technology, with getting food delivered to our house so we don't have to leave, with all of these new factors. And with the um, our isolated and cellular living, which wasn't around thousands of years ago, you know, like sometimes I look at apartment buildings and I feel it could be the most luxurious apartments, but I feel that they almost like the energy they give off is almost of a prison cell. Like if you have like four apartments on one level and all you do is create a a middle section with like a kitchen and like a table for eating, like, and all like the four families can still go into their respective privacies, but like you still have that communal, like the, like the isolation and the cellular living thing, I think is a big part of like going away from, because you can hide now, right? So much, so easily, like behind a screen, behind your door, all these kind of things. And before we couldn't do that because we needed each other more, you know? And so that's part of what's happening. Um, that I think that, you know, there's like conscious communities now and like co-living in Bali. It's really big. That's why I like to spend some time in Bali because it's like entrepreneurs and like co-living and such a, such a amazing like feeling and you're like co-creating, collaborating. And it's just like the energy and this exchange, you know, and like, um, we have like, yes, some people prefer to be more hermits or whatever, but like we are tribal people. We've evolved by needing each other. Otherwise we die. So um, that is a big thing that's, that I've seen. Um, the other thing that's interesting, I have once had a series where I was interviewing my parents as an adult because I was like, you know what? We went through really hard times when I was a kid. My parents did like we immigrated from Ukraine to South Africa with like, couple hundred dollars and my parents' money kept getting stolen by like lawyers and immigration. And then we almost got, got deported like three, four, five, six times. I don't know how many times, you know, like as I was experiencing this as a kid and obviously witnessing some of the stress, but um, I wanted to sit down with my dad and my mom and actually as an adult go like, tell me what was going through your mind? Like you had two little kids, you know, like and was really curious about their life um, from an adult's perspective. And it was interesting because I asked my dad, like, weren't you stressed? Like you were like, you know, you had random jobs of like, you know, door to door knocking and then like selling sandwiches on the streets and like, you know, and then you, you got de- deportation letters and then you had to feed like your family. Like, like weren't you stressed? And my, fa- my dad is very interesting. He says, stressed and he, in this very thick Ukrainian accent. So I can't do it, but just like imagine, right? Like it's like, Ukrainian like stress it's this modern thing that you kids have invented back then back then we just did the the next thing you get a deportation letter you find a new lawyer you do you you get you you get fired you find another job like you just do the like there was no for him at least there was no no place or no place there wasn't also kind of like, uh, maybe like also, not that it didn't exist, but it wasn't as normalized mm-hmm. almost. And normalization has good and bad things. One, like obviously it's good because it's inclusion. It helps us talk about things. But the other side, the shadow side of normalizing something 
is like, I have friends, um, sometimes I listen to them speak and like, oh, I have anxiety and I have anxiety and I have anxiety. Like someone's like handing out like anxiety, like candy, right? And I'm like, wait, (laughs) wait, are you sure this is anxiety? You know, how does it feel? Like, what do you do through, like, you know, is it just popular to have anxiety and panic attacks now, like, or depression or, you know, so, so I like, and I I don't want to sound insensitive because I've had anxiety periods and I've had panic attack periods. I've had depressive periods. Like I know how hard it is when you can't, like you're literally blinded in a panic attack and you can't see, you can't hear. And like, you just are completely incapacitated. Like I've been there. I also know how it feels like at the bottom of a depressive barrel where you're like, never going to fucking get out of this thing. Like, like, you know, so, so in a sense, we have to be careful with like the normalization of things because sometimes it can also have like a negative effect. But that was an interesting insight from my dad about like, oh, it's like a thing now because like back then when you, when you have to do things, you have to find the next job and you have to feed your family and you have to find that lawyer to not get deported. You, you know, like you just, do it. Um, and sometimes, yeah, we just kind of linger in that phase or that state of like, woe is me, you know? Um, there's a lot of factors that that come into like depression and it would be interesting, Derek, to actually see the graph of how it's been used and maybe like other words, but like, you know, Viktor Frankl's book, the, um, Meaning, what's it called? Man's Search for Meaning, right? Have you read it? Uh, I, have, yeah. I have not. It's been referred to me so many times and I feel almost, I almost feel some shame for having not read that book yet. <laughs> no, no shame at all. It's actually like, no, it's a beautiful book. It's very short. So if you need a, a like, it's super short to read. And um, it's actually self-explanatory in the title. It's like, man needs meaning. Okay. <laughs> like, and it's like, I, I also, you know, a bird needs a song to sing. A monkey needs a, a tree to climb. You know, like we need the, our, our meaning. And I write about like now I'm really passionate about like helping people like really find their song and then having the courage to like sing their song, whatever that looks like, you know. But um, that book came out of like a concentration camp, you know, where by all accounts this man sh- should have been again, inverted commas should have been, but like depressed, you know? And then, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. There's definitely things that are lending itself to depression now, but more and more is the disconnection, you know, it's the disconnection, a lot of it from our own feelings. Like we don't know how to feel like we, we don't, we don't get taught in school. Like this is how you feel. And then this is how you process this feeling. You know, we get taught, oh, go on your iPad and numb it out, basically, as a kid these days, or play this computer game and numb it out. So we get taught numbing. And that's also one of the leading factors well, I, that I found um, that are co- that's causing a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you touched on so many good things. There. I even kind of laughed when you were talking about the building structures of people. I remember going on a date and going, this is probably, this is just how my mind works. So uh, like first day, second day, whatever it was. And the, uh, the lady, she lived in an apartment building here in San Diego that reminded me of a prison. It was really nice. I mean, it's like 
one of the most high-end apartments like right here on the coast. But just walking through the hallways, it just felt very sterile and secluded and brick. And I was like, as cool as this is, and I I, I know that the cost of living there, not inexpensive. I'm like, I, I would feel like a sort of a zombie or a robot just rushing off to some, you know, uh, and I, I knew how much stressful her work was and everything to keep up with the lifestyle, but it just had that that buzz to it. And I'm like, oh, I need a little more nature in my life, a little bit of a, a different you know, almost a creative atmosphere to live in. And your your dad, by the way, sounds like an amazing uh, person. He's a, we would call that here, um, that strong immigrant mentality of like, hey, I'm just getting things done. And it's, yeah, yeah right? I mean, that's just, uh, it. there's a lot to be said for that. Because if you look at the kind of sort of the rise and fall of, of civilizations, um, most strong whether you want to call them an empire or cultures have, have really begun to defeat themselves when they get to a place where there's so much prosperity and prosperity is, a you know, sometimes when you say that people think of uh, yachts and palaces, but prosperity is, is literally can just be time, like time you're not spending surviving. And so, you know, the U S is a good example while there are, uh, uh, the upper echelon of, of earners and people that live with a tremendous amount of wealth. And there are people that um, do not, that, you know, literally live on, on the streets. There is enough support more or less in, in the, in the country for people to survive and have that time. And, and when you're in a place, you know, especially like the last year, uh, I think it's fantastic that we were able to, to help some of people that lost their jobs and, and things like that, but it has given an incredible amount of time for for people to um, uh, latch on to a, a similar group in terms of I'm the anxiety group, I'm the you know this group, I'm this hashtag, I'm that hashtag, and it's it's great to acknowledge that. I when we don't acknowledge it, in my I think I was 23, uh, 24, and studying psychology. And rather them recommending, like, hey, you know, those of you who are really interested in becoming a psychologist or a psychiatrist, that you should go uh, and, and actually um, have some sessions. And I was like, all right, I was 24, so I was like, I'm I'm perfect. So we'll just see what happens. And you know, go in there. I actually had a, had a ton of fun with it, and I did all this research trying to find a psychologist that I felt like would be a good fit for me. And she had her, you know, Western degrees, but also this Eastern philosophical uh, approach in terms of um, like a Buddhist background. And I want to say, yeah. And, uh, and so I was describing, you know, like some of the stuff I was dealing with and had really just not really talked to anybody about it, just like buried it, buried it, buried it. And she's like, oh yeah, we would call that a panic attack, Derek. And I'm like, what? I don't get panic attacks. I just, my brain just shuts down and I get sweaty sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not it's not a panic attack it's just a, it's a normal thing so you know we'll figure it out it's probably just yeah not a sleep or whatever and but we'll, yeah. but putting that acknowledgement on there what then we have to do is uh kind of like your dad like what's next and where i think we can fall into a trap is oh i have panic attacks let me take this medication for the rest of my life to sort of numb it or what are some ways to, to solve this 
so that I can be the best version of me or stronger or work through it. And uh, I mean, literally, that was the first time I ever meditated. And she's, she was like, hey, if you're open to it, we can do like a, a guided meditation. So uh, we started doing a guided meditation. And I had kind of a nervous laugh that turned into a real laugh. And afterwards, I could see the look, kind of puzzled look on her face. Like she wanted to be amused. But at the same time, she was like, is he okay? And, and I was like, you, I said, the look on your face, does that have to do? She was pretty good for the most part, but I think she opened up a little. And uh, I said, is that because I was laughing? She's like, yeah, like, how was your experience? What was going on over there? And I'm like, well, we're meditating to calm my mind. And I had a panic attack while we were meditating. And she's, we just started, I started laughing. And, uh, you know, that was the, that's been 13 years, 12 years or something like that. And the, the act of meditation and that could just sometimes be sitting with your thoughts like sometimes it gets these you know strange assignments where people are like oh i mean you have someone like marcus aurelius who literally published a book called meditations that are just him working through his thoughts so we can call things a variety of things but it has evolved to where uh excuse the crazy wild sirens in the background too uh it has evolved to the point where um i really don't even think about having panic attacks anymore because it's a, a distant thing that I learned to solve once upon a time without uh, uh, chemicals or, or anything. And it was really about adjusting uh, lifestyle and, and, and thoughts. Um, so yeah. that is a, a, a very fascinating thing in a sense of, did you, I'm trying to think about your book. Did Have you, you dealt with, do you still have some things that you deal with like that, or do you have you found you think strong solutions for yourself personally for most or, or all of the the bouts of experiences you've had and challenges? I don't know what my future holds, and I would never I was so humbled <laughs> in my experience, so profoundly humbled because I never thought it was going to happen to me. Um, because I had every tool by all accounts. I should not have been depressed. Um, so I, I have no idea. Like if, and then eventually, I don't know if you, if you got to this part in the book where, where eventually I started calling it spiritual bed rest. I was like, all right, well, my spirit needs to rest. Like, okay. So like, okay. So spirit rest, surrender, surrender more, surrender more, surrender more, surrender more, because um, all the active things that I was trying to do weren't helping. So I was like, well, then this is a, a, a lesson in surrender and spiritual bed rest. So I don't know what, I can't say I'll never experience depression again or anything like that, but the, the tools that I have, especially, you know, you know, mentioned psilocybin right at the beginning. So we might want to just like talk about it a little <laughs> bit more about how I got into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't go into that story with like plant medicine and how important that community of like of people that I have with support of plant medicine, as well as um, the support that I've built with like therapists and, um, and, and like, so I've, you see, when things are good, this is an important thing. Like you have to build, it's like going into winter, right? Like you have to, like I'm Ukrainian. So like we have to, we pickle everything. Like you have to pickle things and <laughs> grow things, right? Your tomatoes, your cucumbers, you have to grow things in the summer, pickle them in the autumn so that you can survive and eat in the winter. And so you have to build those when you're feeling good and you get out of your episodes, um, then you build support systems that next time if you do happen to 
you know, have to be in spiritual bed rest, which is my my terminology for depression, um, in my experience, then then you have then you've built something. You've, you know, you've built support systems. And that's what I found that this book had really made me do um in terms of like I had to go in there. And I was like, like I'm mining for gold. Like I'm mining for like, what were the lessons? Because I didn't go through this thing for no reason. Like I didn't like go like that that deep and that hard and fall from grace. How I I called it like that far from no reason. And so I felt that's part of my um like the systems um to combat or maybe even not even combat, but like have a better relationship with my mind. Mm. If that makes sense. And and it's the support in the systems and things that I know are important. Like I have to be connected to nature. Like I, I I, like, I have no interest in living in an apartment anymore. Like I have to be either like somewhere where there's greenery or an ocean, like that that's non-negotiable for me. And I have to be involved in communities and work things. And, you know, like all like the, the things that are important to me and, um, and in a sense, like I have to like be strict with it myself, like that, you know, and, and don't not forget that. I really love my meditation and silence practices. It like it's so important for me to cultivate my mind that way. And um, and then I also I'm still getting better at this. I am there's some way to go, but like surrounding myself with friends and people who are gonna hold me accountable and call me out sometimes and like have like you know, like conscious connection in that sense where you're really supporting on each other uh, each other on a, a level that's beyond like surface that's also really important so I found like I feel like I'm building that a lot so and in a lot of the yeah in a lot of ways um I'm, I'm as good as it's going to get right now <laughs> like I'm doing great now but we'll see what life has has to offer and if I do here's the thing that I'm not scared of anymore because I was so scared at the beginning when I was like indifference and apathy and like, oh, it's just a day I couldn't get out of bed or whatever, you know? Um, I was so scared of calling it depression because it's like, oh, what's it going to mean? Um, am I never going to be able to get a client again? Like, am I just like a wounded, like whatever? Like, oh, you know, am I going to, is someone going to tell me to go get meds? Like that's that was a big thing. I was like, I'm not going down the medical route. I have to find an alternative route, but I'm so like, I can see if I have to ever go through anything difficult, it has, it has meaning for me because we're meaning making machines and I can create a meaning that's, um, Sadhguru, I don't know if you are familiar with Sadhguru, he calls it like, you can choose if it's going to leave you wounded or wise. And Mm -hmm. I choose for my depressive episode to leave me more, more wise than wounded. I'm getting the I'm getting the chills. I love it. Uh, I someone passed something to me yesterday that was super beautiful, and it was a guy named Doctor Amen, which I'm like, what a what a great name, Doctor Amen, MD. But he wasn't just talking about the the things you traditionally would think of a, an MD, at least in the U.S., talking about. And one of them was post traumatic growth. He said. Yes, I- saw it on your Instagram. I love that. It was so good. I was like, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. The fascinating. And I want to dig in more to that and then like learn about it because he, one of his things he said was about 10% of the population. And so immediately 
hearing you and, and then when that thought came in, I go, what's the difference between a, when a person has that moment? And I imagine we all have these moments and we go, okay, I, I am this thing or this is this thing that's happened. And we sort of just let it hang and, and we don't work to solve it. Or that person that processes the emotion, the, the thought, the whole event and says, how do I fix this? Right. Because I know sometimes coaching people or working with people, I find myself saying, hey, you know, do you just want to vet or are you looking for a solution? Right. And trying to figure out that <laughs> you actually you're rolling your eyes a little bit there. Like um, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, why is it only 10% if that, if that number is accurate, that they get to take a traumatic event and turn it into growth? And is it something that we can learn and, and move that number to 50, 60%? Like, what do you think is the difference between making the decision to move forward and, and adjust and solve or, or being stuck? Derek, you ask lots of big questions. I won't lie. This is a very big one again. Um, so first of all, I would question the validity of the actual percentage. We don't, I, I, like that, there's no, I doubt there's an actual study that, um, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think what, what you try, you know how they say like 90% of statistics is made up or whatever that's, that funny meme is, right? About statistics anyways. But um, but I think what he's trying to say is that um as a society, we lean towards having a disorder versus a growth, right? So, um, <laughs> so funny, uh, you know, like years ago, there was like a book like this thin on like the disorders that could happen, you know, and now there's like volumes of like disorders, disorders and then sub disorders and like categories of that. And like, everyone has everything. And like, you know, especially if you're an entrepreneurial type, oh my gosh, you have everything. And um, so what is the kind of like, what I'm hearing the question is like, why as a society do we lean towards going like post-traumatic um, stress disorder versus I've had traumatic stress in the past and I am going to choose to grow from it. Yeah. And or even um, you personally, like what have been those moments for you, I guess, that have helped you shift and go, okay, this is the thing, but, but I need to take action. Like, I don't want to be stuck here forever because not everybody does that. That's, that seems to be a, a smaller percentage of people that make that decision. Okay. So we're all, the one thing I know about every human, including myself, um, I think I'm human last time I checked, who knows, um, is that we're all programmable and programmed. So every single person, every single one of us is programmable and programmed. And I came with a certain programming from my parents, right? Like, one of the reasons why I was reading personal development books at 10 was like my dad, you know, so I was very lucky to have a mentor like him and my mom's very strong, beautiful um, influence as well. Um, so the thing is like to look at our own personal programming in a sense and ask ourselves, like, are we happy with it? You know, like, is this, is this it for me? And if not, then you know, there's so many things at our fingertips these days that can help us reprogram to a point where we say, oh, 
I didn't know that I didn't have, have to have a disorder. I can also have growth because of it. Like no one told me that because most of the statistics are telling me about PTSD. No one's actually telling me like I could actually be a better version, more evolved human out of this. Like, that's cool. I choose this, you know? Um, so, so for me, I, I just didn't have any other choice. I felt because of the nature and the nurture, like the, the nature, my nature and nurture. So it's hard for me to say like for others, what I do see, um, <clears throat> it's pretty cool, like in the coaching world where there's like people helping more people um, in that sense. And I also have a love-hate relationship with coaching. So we can get into that in a different TED talk. But um, what I, I saw the other day is like, you know, one of the reasons why this expert um, industry has grown so quickly is because we're shedding the societal shame of asking for help. Right. There's been a lot of like there was a period, um, probably like my parents' generation. I don't know how far back, but um, definitely a good solid time where like asking for help meant weakness and, you know, all sorts of shame around that. So um, I think the first thing is is to ask, you know, like, how's my relationship with asking for help? That will start then like, oh, Okay, let's look. Let's look there. Let, let's just like like sit with that feeling and understand where that comes from, and um, what are the fears around that? What is like the worst possible scenarios that could happen, and 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 go from there. Um, and I think it's like it's like a belief, like anything else. If like if you see that it's possible for you to grow from your trauma then, and more of us kind of show that, like, that's hopefully what my book also showcases. It's like, look, I went through that. I shared my entire story and I am here. Like, and I, trust me, like when, when I was feeling really, really low and people would tell me about like their post-depression, like lives, I'd be like, it's impossible. There's no way. It's, I like, I don't see it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm useless. I'm hopeless. Like all these kind of things. And so the more cases that, we kind of collect and build for ourselves that it's possible a life on the other side of trauma, a life on the other side of depression, of panic attacks, of, of anxiety. The more we see proof of that, the more we can believe it's true for ourselves. So that's why I'm so excited about being on this podcast and chatting to you and like sharing the message and stuff like that, because I want to like um, imbue <laughs> people with the belief that this is possible, like health and vitality and energy and inspiration and life force and beauty and magic and everything is possible on the other side of something as deep and heavy as depression can be. Yeah, that's, and that's, it's pretty beautiful in a lot of ways. I was recently, not recently, was analyzing this happened a couple of times over over time analyzing an organization and and looking at these variables of who was performing very high and, and who wasn't and there was a it, it was very obvious by age group actually and this is a, a traditionally these were roles where most of the top performers were in their 
uh, late forties, fifties, you know, had a lot of career experience. And in this particular segment of time, there was a, a group of folks in their twenties that were way outperforming, um, these way more experienced people. And I, I, I realized the, the folks that were in their twenties that really desired to be good at this were asking for more help. They were constantly like, Hey, I'm, I'm confident that I can go out and do this, but give me all of the tools. Tell me more. They were, you know, seeking knowledge, like nonstop to, to hone those skills. And the folks that had a lot of experience, there had been a bunch of, you know, changes and, and things, they were struggling a lot more. And they, they wanted to talk about all the things that uh, essentially, and I, I don't want to encompass that whole group as I'm kind of looking, thinking about the analytics or there are obviously exceptions, but I, I think of a, um, a subset of the group in particular would consistently say like, oh, here's, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing, but you could see it wasn't actually working, but they hadn't really acknowledged that. Uh, and it's the, it's a really fine line to be in a state of, I think to the point where you are, are helpless, you know, and you're just asking for help. Like I'm so, so lost in, in getting the right help for a, a situation like that, where somebody <clears throat> has the right tools, but, but also just simply asking for help sometimes from a friend or, or someone like that. And uh, I do believe that is a, a really powerful thing that the cultures of uh, the world are doing now being more communication has unlocked that, you know, I was chatting with a group of folks from India about some technology yesterday. And I'm like, this is so they were showing me some AI program and I'm like, this is friggin' awesome. And uh, we're asking each other for help and just the, the confidence in the product, but the humility to ask questions, I, I found to be super incredible. And, and that's going to give a, a ton of value to all of us as people, as we continue to embrace that moving, moving forward. So thinking about your, your book, Oh, did you want to, sorry, did you say something there? <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Asking for help and, um, and learning how to essentially get your needs met, you know, like how do I get my needs met with no shame or guilt or embarrassment around that, you know, like shedding a lot of those things that, um, yeah, sometimes we keep hidden in the closet. Well, and you said, you've said a bunch of things that the term self-awareness came into my, into my mind has been, you know, for a lot of things, I'm like, oh, self-awareness. And you can go to a guru or you can pull up an Instagram video or YouTube and, oh, you must be self-aware. I, I very rarely find like a, a list of tools underneath that. Hey, here are the things you can do to become self-aware. And I guess there are some like meditation or things like that, but there's not, I haven't seen it yet. Like here's the quiz of self-awareness and then a, a, a roadmap for becoming the most enlightened self-aware person, right? We have these blind spots as people. Well, what do you recommend folks do to figure out what their own, what their own needs might be? Okay. So what do I recommend? <laughs> I do a lot, a lot of inner child work with people. Um, I feel like m many of us are running around in adult bodies, but actually like our little kids inside screaming for, you know, attention or love or praise or all sorts of things, right? So 
a lot of things that I like to look at is like, you know, let's go to the core. Um, and so there's a lot of tools, like you can go to YouTube and like inner child work, like there's tons of tools out there just to get started. Um, on like, you know, what that might look like. Some people aren't even aware of like inner child work, like what, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of like the first thing is, um, yeah, when we're ticking off boxes, like go to school, go to college, you know, get this degree, get this job, buy this house, get this mortgage, get married, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, whose life am I even living? Like, you know, I've just been like on this, in this program, like a computer game, you know? And like, how do I now wake up from this program and then regain my sovereignty and regain my power and take, you know, control? Um, I think it starts there. And um, I mean, like self-awareness is a lifelong journey. There's always more. I don't know if you've experienced that where I've, I've had this where I'm like, God damn it. I worked on this at that workshop. Like I don't have this like mommy issue or daddy issue anymore. And then it's like, Oh no, but there's more, <laughs> you know? So there's like constantly more. And I had to get over because at one stage I went to every kind of like seminar, workshop, retreat, because I was like, I'm going to be fixed. Like I'm going to be fixed and healed and everything is going to be fall into place perfectly beautifully and everything's going to be fine. And then I had to get, get humbled to the notion that he, like to fall in love with the healing process. It's like mastery, like mastery is the falling in love of the process of mastery, like, because you're never ever done with mastery. Right. But if you try to get, get into mastery and, and like, I love actually, you know, like self-awareness, self-mastery, because it's like, how do I fall in love with the process of mastering myself or of being aware of myself versus going like, I got to get self-aware. I got to master my morning routine because I need to fix myself. You know, there's a very big difference there. Yeah. I, I know my own personal experience, you know, especially when the, the pandemic hit and the morning routine went off, I, that was a big eye opener for me, like how addicted I was to needing a routine to unlock certain things versus going back to the am I state or I am statement from earlier. Like I am this person and these are things that benefit me, but that doesn't change who I am if I can't go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, right? Um, you... <laughs> That's weird. You infinite, Derek. You can choose. You know what? I, a practice that I do, I, I can share here for anyone. Um, I have like, I love notebooks. So I have notebooks like all the time. And every time I have a new notebook, sometimes it takes a month, sometimes a month and a half, sometimes two, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I always leave the first page blank and I write, I am. And I write an I am statement on the first page of any like notebook. And every notebook is different because in the last four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, I've evolved and I've grown like, you know, and so, yeah. So I like, you know, one month I did like, I am a goddess or whatever. And then the next one is like, I'm a badass closing like salesperson. Like, you know, the next one is like, I am whatever, you know, like um, a nurturing friend and uh, like whatever. So it's like, it's constantly evolving. And then like, it's kind of cool to look back at all of these like I am's and you're showing me your I am 
thing there. <laughs> literally same thing. I have notebooks yeah. dating back to 2015. They're in a, a wooden treasure chest in a closet. And uh, the I am statements probably didn't start actually until like 2017. But that, and it just shifts over time as I learn new things about myself. And uh, yeah, that's, it's so powerful. I'm trying to think if this was in your book or I recently heard this somewhere else because there was an acronym in your book. I, I definitely know that I enjoyed. And it was the acronym for God, Greater Organization. What is Grand, it? Grand Organized Design. Grand Organized Design. That's okay. That's super powerful. Uh, I, I do want to. I do want to come back to that because I was. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Let's just talk about that. We'll go. Let's go there. Grand organized design. Um, but no, the, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the I am thought there. Someone said that I am, or this could have been, again, could have been your book. I could have picked this up somewhere else recently, that it is actually the, one of the like original ways of, of, of speaking like God's name. And I thought that was really interesting in terms of personal power and the, the gifts that some um, could, you know, arguably say that we've been granted. One of those is, is speaking and, and the power of names. And uh, there is a, a debate, a philosophical debate over what the, the meaning of the Bible is that, that we actually have the ability right now to create our own heaven and that words are a big factor in that. So, um, I know I just unloaded like a lot of <laughs> many layers there, but where do you think the source of the I am power comes from um, in, in your opinion? Right. So um, I also write in my book a little bit differently, like the two words I am are the most powerful words in the English language. And you can translate it into any other language, right? I am, because whatever comes after I am, starts to become your identity, your label, and, and stuff like that, right? Um, and there's lots of beautiful meditations. I think like Ramdas does some about like, I am consciousness, you know, like I am consciousness, you know, and like, what do you put after those words, I am? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to discernment. And what I mean is like once upon a time, I was a tiny little baby in my mother's stomach, which means there was no separation between me and other, right? And you were probably a tiny little baby in your mother's stomach, right? And everyone else. So at one stage of our lives, we are actually merged with another human being, everybody. Then we, then the separation happens and all of a sudden, we have to discern what is me and what is not me, right? Mm. So it's a very like sensitive way. Like, so you say, I am glass. No, I am not glass. Okay. Like, I am hand. I am face. I am this, you know? And so, you know, it's really, I love watching like kids learn and stuff like that. Like you can learn so much from like young kids, right? But this, this, this I am basically it's it's important because it creates an identity and encasing for the consciousness and the personality and the gifts and the experiences and all these kind of things. Um, that's why 
you know, I don't think like your ego needs to die. Like don't kill your ego. You need your ego to contain your consciousness. Like you need, but you need to have a good relationship with your ego. So maybe not in the driver's seat all the time, you know, we can talk about that, but there's beautiful ways to have a good relationship with your ego and, you know, again, not be its slave, but more of the master of that kind, that, that type of mind that we all have. Um, but yeah, that's where it comes. It comes from the our need to separate from another human being physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And then we start to create labels and a container that says, I am this and I am not this. And like, this is good for me. And then we start to discern good and bad. Like this, if I eat this fruit, it will it will heal me. If I eat this fruit, it will kill me. You know, like we also have to discern like good and bad. Um, and yeah, we, but, but this is where we get stuck, Derek, is that we go too far. We go too far with the labels and the over-identification with what is me and what is not me. And we forget the interconnectedness of it all. And this, you know, I'm bringing back like plant medicine again, but like, this is where like things like plant medicine and psilocybin can really like bring us back to our source and our center and our essence of interconnectedness, which is the beginning, which was for me the beginning of like my healing with my mental health and stuff like that. Yeah. So what um, what what kind of a role does does plant medicine play in your life currently? Currently, uh, every few months, I'll do a, um, a microdosing regimen or protocol, um, and. Yeah, it's it's like all medicine is like especially plant medicine. I find is like to be handled with reverence, and I have to also like say like please do your own research and stuff like that. Like you know, I speak from a personal uh, experience. Um, things can go really good, it can go really bad, but you know that's the thing that's helped me because I wasn't interested in the medical route. Um, so I just had to say that. So, um. <laughs> From time to time, I'll have macro dosing journeys, um, sometimes with psilocybin, sometimes with ayahuasca. And then for maintenance, um, I would I sometimes do like six to 12 weeks of a micro dosing protocol and then go off it for three to six months, you know? So um, it's not something like I'm constantly doing, but it does aid in my um, productivity, creativity, overall mood. Um, connection to people, connection to nature. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm relatively new. Like I know like, you know, there's Paul Stamets, like the mushroom man who's just like, you know, has like decades of experience with it. And um, <clears throat> and other people have much more experience with it than me, but it's, it's enhancing my life currently. I'll tell you that. <laughs> like in so many different ways. Um, and like the biggest thing is like, connection to myself, to my purpose, to my soul's whispers. I can like, you know, like I like I can receive the downloads when I meditate. I can like not just hear my intuition, but I can start to trust my intuition, you know? Um, what else? Like it makes me want to be more fit and healthy and outgoing and um, look after and eat well. Like it makes me want to like put good food in my body, you know? And so there's like so many different elements where it's, yeah, especially in the last year, um, I started 
I started about three or four years ago. Um, so that's why I say I'm relatively new and um, there's tons of research and much more experienced people out there. Um, but And then in the last year, it's because of the depressive episode, um, I really had to go like, okay, well, it's helped other people. Like, I, I, let's, let's go, <laughs> you know, like, let's see what it's going to do. And it absolutely transformed. I think it transformed how quickly I could get out of it. You know, like people ask me, like, well, could you have gotten out of your depression without microdosing psilocybin and without going on ayahuasca journeys? And maybe, I, I guess we'll never know, you know, like maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. And there's obviously proof of like mind changes and chemistry changes through meditation and retreats and also sorts of things. And I've done those. I've done all the meditations. I've done all the retreats. It's not like I didn't do those too. Um, but <clears throat> the wiring, the actual physical rewiring and your, how the way your neurons work, um, it's difficult to command yourself to meditate when you're struggling to sit up. You know, it's like, whereas like you can use the plant medicine as an aid to help you do that. And um, what else? Like, you know, things like laughter, right? This is something very basic. Um, we know we need to laugh. We know laughter is good for us. We know like laughter is one of the best medicines and stuff like that. And like through plant medicine, I realized like it was one specific journey um, where I ended up laughing a lot. And I was like, holy shit, I haven't laughed with this like belly laugh, like joy, like kid-like, childlike like don't care what it looks like, tears down my eyes, that kind of thing, like in six months or eight months or however long, like, of course I was going to be depressed, you know, like, and that, that like the severe state change that some plant medicines can induce um, can definitely like shift a lot of things like on the like neurological level, on the physical health level, spiritual, emotional, everything. Well, I think sometimes when you open up like that too, you know, earlier we, we talked a little bit about, you know, acknowledging things when you, when you can open up your, your mind to accept some things, maybe there is a, a recent event or even an older event that, that, that shift in thinking or our openness helps us sort of look at and face and go, Oh, this isn't, this isn't as bad as I thought it was, or, this is not what I thought it was. It was, it's this other thing. I, um, you know, I, believe, I truly believe actually one of the events that helped me work past uh, panic attacks was that I've experimented with many different belief systems and tools and like you, like some seminars, probably not nearly as many seminars as you. It uh, sounds like you've, you've been going hard on that for a while, which is fantastic. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to gain from them though. Absolutely. So uh, I remember having this this one experience going through a, a process where you were revisiting past events, and I almost describe it as like a. Uh, and I heard you actually say, I heard you say, "close the loop" earlier, something like that, or I made me think energy loop. I'm like, ah, oh, I want to. There's so much stuff, there's so many tools that you probably have acquired over over time that are like exciting to think about. Um, but it was just really this. This event that I didn't even, I knew it was there, but I hadn't really thought about it. And it was a very painful event. And, uh, uh, you know, working with this, this person, they, they had you kind of search back through your memories. And then this like thing came up and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, but it was, 
had a lot of like negative anchored or negative emotion uh, anchored to it, like this feeling of tenseness and and fear. And uh, it was this, you know, very uh, not exciting thing. It was exciting for sure, but not in a, in a helpful way moving forward. And then we just went through the event, went through the event, like asked questions. There's a, there's a lot of different, I know, like an NLP or something, I think they call it like timeline therapy or all these kind of different versions of what this might be. This modality was, um, I don't know, something else. But uh, just through revisiting that event, it took the the negative charge out of it because I, I became much more open to looking at it from different perspectives. Now there was no there was no plant medicine or or anything involved with this experience. This was just two people. But I I think without going through that, I could see how something like uh, a mushroom experience or you know ayahuasca or things you're talking about how those can give us a perspective that that heals those traumatic events. Did you find um, any of that in your in your experiences? Yeah, that's so beautiful what you shared there. Uh, so I have a motto that says perspective is the solution to almost anything. If you need any solution, um, almost. Let me just like put put that in. Like with enough time and distance, you'll get get it right. Um, yes. Um, you know, the mind altering state that substances can impose on you uh, or can have on you definitely um gives you a lot of perspective. Um and, you know, what you said there was so profound there, Derek, like the charges that we have on certain events, like all memories have either positive or negative charge. And it's also just how charged things are, right? And anything that we don't heal runs us. Any charge that we don't release and let go and free ourselves from in one way or another, um, subconsciously, a lot of the time, most of the time, sometimes consciously, runs our life. So when you got to go through that experience, and um, yeah, that's exactly what you do. You like defuse that charge, and now you're more free, and um, free from that emotion, free from that memory, from also the tyranny of a person, whatever it could have been, right? Um, and. Uh, yeah, perspective does that, especially when someone can, like another person can help you with that perspective and plant medicine definitely helps you with a lot of perspective. Um, you know, one of it is just, it's, it's so interesting. One of the, it, one of the perspectives is how insignificant you are. And then on the opposite side is how significant you are. You know, it's like, how do I, how do I come to terms with how insignificant I am and then how significant I am? And for me, at least, it's it comes down to quantum mechanics where, you know, we're both a wavelength and a particle at the exact same time. So you're both significant and insignificant at the exact same time. It's what you choose to focus on because as soon as a wavelength gets focused on, it becomes a particle. So you can be insignificant and then there's focus and you gain significance. And so I like to go to things like quantum mechanics to figure things like this out. And um, plant medicine helps me do that for sure. Yeah. 
I didn't realize we were going to get into quantum mechanics. That's exciting. That is uh, something newer on my journey. Um, you know, the concept of like quantum entanglement, I actually just picked up a, a healthy number of books. How would you describe, I want to put you on the, on the spot a little bit here, someone that, that's never, when they hear quantum physics and they think, oh my gosh, that's for, you know, geniuses that are, it's way beyond my understanding. How would you help like a, like a small child almost? I think that's always one of my favorite ways of like talking to my nieces or nephews. I'm like, how, how can I say this in a way that's going to make sense for them? Um, how would you describe the, the impact of, of quantum mechanics on our, on our everyday lives? I mean, you, you kind of started there, but in a sense of sometimes that, that magic we think of in the world and the fact that there, there are some explanations for that. Hmm. Well, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes, which is also in the book, is that advanced enough technology is indistinguishable from magic. All right. And it's the same thing with the magician, where it's like, wow, how did he take this watch off or make this pen disappear or, you know, whatever it is. And then there's like steps, there's science behind it. There's a technology behind it. Like everything has a technology behind it. And so to simplify, um, to simplify, it's like, you know, let's, let's learn about the technology, about the things that we don't yet understand, or we're just beginning to understand, you know, and if everything is this a kind of technology, like anything that solves a problem is a technology. So um, an eye mask can be a technology or is a technology, like as well as an iPhone and things like that. Um, <laughs> so it's about the curiosity of, you know, of things. And then you start watching movies like What the Bleep Do We Know? And you can go on Gaia now and just like get your brain like completely infused with like such mind blowing things that you're just like, I've been lost down several rabbit holes. So like cautionary tale, <laughs> um, cautionary tale. But um, for me, it's fun. Like I have so much fun. I'm like, that's so cool. You know, like let's explore this. Like, um, I used to take it much more seriously and, and I was like, I studied it really seriously. Like I really wanted to know, I studied the mathematics of consciousness, the optics of um, what's was called, like the optics of something. I studied like a lot of things <laughs> when it comes to these, uh, these things and like vectors and light and sound and everything. Um, and it got really complicated very, very quickly. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, how can I make this practical? So the example that I gave you of making quantum mechanics practical is the wavelength and the particle at the exact same time. And then infusing, putting the significance and insignificance and lots of different things in that, you know, now it's practical. Now I can see like how it applies to me, you know? And, and the same thing with like quantum entanglement and the practicality of that. So it's curious, like at the end of the day, um, with little kids and quantum mechanics or physics, it's like curiosity and fun behind like how do some of these weird and wonderful things happen? How do things manifest? You know, like a lot of people talk about a lot of manifestation these days 
like how does that really work and stuff like that. And there's there's real like quantum mechanics behind it. Um, I I just find it fascinating, and um, I also find like you know at the beginning I've I said something like things are systems upon systems, and like mathematics and quantum mechanics. I always knew like mathematics was the um, the baseline of everything. It's like the universal language. Like mathematics is in God. Like there is like and God is in mathematics. Like it's the one thing that I believe in is mathematics and nature. <laughs> like for me, that is like I've that's if I have to understand anything, that's where I go. Mathematics and nature. Um yeah, fun curiosity behind how weird and wonderful things that are happening and more and more um what they called it, called like supernatural, more and more supernatural things are happening to people. So they have to, unless they really don't want to, like fine. But a lot of people, especially like being locked in, in their house and whatever people's experiences has, has been, um, there's been a lot of people ex- open to like more spiritual and supernatural things. And um, for me, I love like the science of it. And like I say, the quantum mechanics of it and marrying it with the supernatural and the spiritual. Yeah, that's, I, you know, we, I think of like the old, the old Testament and how supernatural or magical things, things were there. I mean, you have parts like in Moses's book of numbers where God is, is constantly in the form of a pillar of smoke or fire. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, debate from people saying, oh, these were just stories that were passing down. You could also look at it as that was their version of, of science once upon a time, and they were very, very knowledgeable about the quote-unquote mysteries of the universe, you know? Uh, and maybe now is a sort of an era where we're relearning about those things um, in, a, in a more, you know, I would say more special and in a different way essentially, where we're reacquiring this knowledge we once have and actually able to explain it or calculate these probabilities. But that is, you know, even that statement is is probably highly offensive to a group of people that go, well, science is very different than God. And um, this might have been your book too. One of my favorite things is that, yeah, I believe this was from your book. Uh, We're trained, we're programmed, going back to your concept of programming from a very young age, to look at the differences. You know, this yeah. is different, that is different, that person has different colored skin than me, uh, all of these differences. And yeah, there, there are differences in the world. It's not to diminish that. However, I, I often find that most things that we think are different are, are actually quite similar, just being described in different ways. And so my my current quest or my current subscription to a belief is that, um, you know, what one person sees as a pillar of smoke and God in the Bible is actually what another person may be calling science in today's day and age, because there is a, it doesn't diminish God or a higher power. It actually reinforces that, but it's, it's, it's common for people to get stuck in this well, that's different. So that's not God. You're talking about something different when, when it's actually the the same and, and there's, there could be more agreement there. Yeah. So 
everyone's allowed to subscribe to their own beliefs. And sometimes I just ask people, so how, how's that working out for you? <laughs> That's my favorite question. How's that working for you? <laughs> good. You're good. Okay. Well then we, we, we are done here. Cool. All right. Yeah. You, you go on your way. I'll go on my way. And, um, it's interesting, Derek, because I would much rather be in a debate or a thought experiment with a staunch, like super religious, any religion, like kind of like by the book, everything, than a staunch atheist. Mm-hmm. I actually, one of the things, um, and I, I haven't spoken in a long time to like a really staunch atheist, like maybe I just haven't invited them into my field, but I remember I, I had had times where there was like, just like nothing, like nothing. And I was like, interesting. I can't get through. Like there's like, there's no connect, like, you know, like this is very difficult. And it was interesting. It was actually in an ayahuasca circle that I met a pretty hectic atheist and he was so confused. (laughs) He was so confused. (laughs) He was like, I can't go back. He's like, but science and, you know, and I'm like, no, but stop using the word but and science, and you know, God and science. Um, and if you say in your belief that God is omnipresent and omni everything, then how is science not omni? Like what, who is creating these exclusions? Like who are you to do that? I'm sorry. Like there's inconsistencies there. I, I remember the shift in my life. I love that you talk about the and thing as well. I feel like we could probably just bust out your book and start reading it right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because it's we we can limit ourselves with but because then you're thinking or often, right? And and is is so much more powerful uh, in in a lot of ways. Yes, you can. You know, I like plants a lot, so there's like a plant that's like has two a, a, a double colored leaf it's like white and green you can call it a green plant or there's a white plant over there you fuse them together and you have a, a really much more beautiful plant like these monsteras that are really popular right now so uh <laughs> yeah they look good when they're an and when they're a green and and white um the i remember for me what was shifted i read this book I didn't do a lot of reading as a, as a youngin in my teenage years, but I was sort of forced to read as I sometimes showed up to, to high school. And uh, there was a book called The Stranger. I think it was like Albert Camus. I think that was the book. And it, it introduced me to the concept of, uh, you know, God probably created all this, but he's either dead or alive. Because I think it's existentialism is the, the belief that that book subscribes to. And I remember, you know, looking in, doing a little research, and I'm like, ah, you know what? I don't really, I wasn't really a believer in God, but, it, you know, life was, my experience in life had taught me, like, there's no way there's someone looking out for me at this point. Um, and so it was very kind of a dark place, but uh, I was okay. You know, it was, it was more of a, an okay thing with it, but I was like, ah, maybe there is a God, and he just fell asleep or died or whatever, right? That was kind of what that what that book introduced me to that that concept. And now much like you, um, I, you're, I'm, I probably haven't even thought much about atheism a little bit, but, uh, I was on some dating apps for a bit. And if people had atheist market, it was like an automatic, no, not even, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> people, maybe, many people who label themselves as atheists are actually agnostic. 
I've had many conversations about this and I'm like, well, let's look at the definitions and what you is that you truly are trying to say and believe and stuff like that. And I, you know, like I, be, I belong in the atheist camp. Like, why the fuck are you even labeling that? Like, okay. <laughs> I feel like it's a very simple question that, that solves all of that. And you just have to go, well, how'd we get here? Oh, it's the Big Bang. Okay, well, then who created the Big Bang? Like, you can just ask a series of questions, or not who, I should say, then how did the Big Bang happen, you know? And you just keep going down to where, like, there has to be some sort of a grand, I'm going to get this down, uh, greater... Organized. Greater, grand, organized... Ah, come on, hit me with it one more time. <laughs> grand, grand, organized design. Grand. And, <clears throat> I mean, again, like... I just have to step into nature to and just be so present and recognize the awe of the organization of nature and then <clears throat> look at myself and how it's like one in how many million chances that I'm even here, you know, and then and, 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 and then go like, wow, this is, this is my next, natural conclusion, you know, um, some kind of design. And then when I started to look back at my life and I noticed like, you know, that led to that, led to that, led to that, led to that. <clears throat> and I'm like, what the fuck is designing this? You know, <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> so, so yeah, um, that's what I started. Like for me, that's what God became is like the grand organized design in the bigger sense, but also on like in the macro, there's the macro and the micro. And in the micro sense, um, it's also like, you know, seeing yourself as a reflection, seeing everything as <clears throat> like, I believe that we're all, everything is an expression of infinity and God is infinity. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so like then, you know, Rumi's quote of uh, like, you're not a drop in the ocean, you're the ocean in a drop. And, you know, all of these things start to add up and then you're like, oh, I'll stick with this one. This one feels good, makes things work, um, doesn't hurt anyone, it's inclusive. Yep, I'm, I'll stick with this one. Yeah, and what you said, you've mentioned nature a couple of times too. You know, I think of, uh, when I first moved to Southern California, you know, going out and just watching the sunset, and this is still, it's, it's not like it's lost its impact on me at all, but going out and sitting on the beach or the grass or just standing in the ocean watching the sunset. And I remember this one particular day where I was standing there looking at the ocean and it hit me. It was such a, a moment of awe where I went, wow, like if I just, you know, this is so big. Like I, I was very significant that day in my work, right? I had to, you have to use, you have to have an ego. Like you mentioned, you're, if you don't have no ego, it's going to be really hard to function in modern society. Uh, you have to have some sense of self, some sense of, of here's what I'm great at, you know, good at, great at, here's what I can contribute um, to this organization around me, uh, you know, organized society, work, whatever, purpose, family unit. Um, but we were just standing there and it's kind of a weird thought too, I thought, you know, okay, a big day of significance. And then, you know, sunset at the ocean. I was like, if I just started swimming in that direction, I become very much not important 
in about 20 minutes. You know, just straight, there's sharks and there's sea life and there's no way, like, if I, I'm just swimming around the ocean. Like, I'm, I'm relevant here and obviously connected to all of this, but there's, there's a lot more to it. So, hey, I, I know that, uh, this is, this is fun, but I know it's, it's Saturday night for you and, uh, yeah. it's a true pleasure. I, I have all the time in the world. I do want to check on you. Is there are there some things that you you feel extra compelled to share? Uh, parts of your book, parts of the work that you're doing, um, things that are exciting for you in the in the future. Ah, uh, yes, yes, so much. So, um, okay, so. One thing that I've learned and that I'm also like now putting together um, is like the holistic health thing. So which means it's like mental health, physical health and relational health. And when that triad, um, and so, you know, I have a, a program that's coming out called the Mystery and Magic of Holistic Health. Because when that triad of mental health, physical health and relational health falls in line, and relational, I mean, like relationship with yourself, with, you know, mother, father figures, um, divine masculine, divine feminine, and then all the other, like, things. Everything starts to work, you know? And so it's like, it's really not just like, oh, I'm just going to fix my mental state. Like, you really have to look after yourself physically, and you have to look after your relationships. And then, like, business ideas come through, implementations come through, like they start to thrive, you start to live the most magical and amazing life and stuff like that. So I think sometimes we're looking for like a quick fix. We're like, just give me the solution. Give me this, this psilocybin, give me this pill, give me, you know, and we forget to fall in love with the journey of healing. So that's kind of like a big one that I really like, I'm helping people do now, you know, um, in the programs. I used to be more of like an entrepreneurial coach where I'm like, let's get sales and make money and marketing and build teams. And like, and like I still do quite a bit of trainings for like virtual teams. And like, um, so I'll start implementing the mental health stuff for virtual teams too. Um, but like, yeah, this whole like thing of like holistic health and falling in love with healing is something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, at the, end of the at the end of the day, with the book, um, I just, I know I'm going to use this word very specifically because my dad, as amazing as he is, he's amazing. Like we've shared, he also taught me something like hope kills. <laughs> like mm. he's like this big Ukrainian, like personality. He's like hope kills. Like you don't hope for something. You yeah. make it happen. Right. Okay. But there's different, types of, there's different types of hope, Derek, because I was going to say, which I do mean, like, I want this book to give people hope and practical tools, like, through my story as an example of what's possible, and then the practical tools should, they, should it resonate with them if they also feel like they're in a spiritual path, you know, and, like, you, they're asked to um, – look beyond the physical. So more into like the metaphysics of life. Um, so 
I want to give people hope and the tools because there's different types of hope. There is one type of hope where it's like, I hope this marketing strategy works and like, it's a shit strategy, you know, like that's a, that's like, like that, that, that doesn't work. But there's another hope where it's like, there's an example of this being possible and maybe that's then possible for me. And I I just want to leave people with that. Like I made it specifically a 90 minute read and the version two, when it's like fully published, it's probably going to be a two hour, two and a half hour read because I'm going to extend in some of the um, concepts in the book. Um, But I made it specifically short for people who are going through a hard time, who are going through depression to be able to get through. Cause like, I don't want to get through a book if I was depressed, you know, like, but, but if it was just an hour and a half, two hours, like, sure. You know, so I was very like cognizant of that. Um, I also want to give people hope, those who are ex- like experiencing people around them who have depression, because that, like if you have a child, for example, who you're like, like, you know, like, or a parent who's going through depression or a close friend or something, like I want to give people who are witnessing things and we like, we've seen the statistics of what. the the past year and a bit now has done to people's mental health, you know, and it's, I want to be, I want to be part of the solution. I really want to be part of the the solution for this. And, um, and yeah, also give tools. Like there's a chapter that says like how to help a loved one through depression, like (laughs) very clear, very specific. It may not be all the things that you can do, but that information was nowhere on the internet or in any book that I could find. And, um, it's all it, it, it's all about like learning to love one another better, love in a way of like you know, in a way of like really wanting to be present for someone else's needs versus imposing what I think you need. Like you should go for a run; and it will help you feel better. Every depressed person knows they should go for a run. Like sit down, okay? Like. So, um, so that whole chapter is on like, how do we get more present with another person's needs and that other person could be going through a depressive um, episode um, and hold space for long enough for that person to have the courage to then go like, yes, can I please get this need met? I just, as you're going through that, that's, that's really special to have that purpose. Your, your dad too, by the way, I had a, I had a realization just now. It's kind of interesting. There, there's an article I read last week that said, you know, a lot of people describe themselves as empaths. Um, but they said there's, there, this new research has really shown it's actually only about one to 2% of the population that is actually an empath that, that literally like physically feels when somebody's describing something or sharing something, most people have, you know, are empathetic and can develop empathy and all these things. And there's been many times in my life, I mean, it's very common. If, uh, it's how I figured out I didn't want to get into the medical field, like uh, surgery stuff very early on when I started going to schools that someone would describe an injury and I would feel it like my stomach would kind of nod up or parts of my like, and uh, yeah. And I could actually like physically feel it. And I'm like, Oh, stop. And I kind of cringe. And they're like, oh, so, you know, 
come on, Derek, get over it. I'm like, no, seriously, I can feel it. It's like a weird feeling. My own injuries, I'm like oblivious to half the time. So it's kind of an odd, an odd thing, but, uh, certain words, you know, and I, I think this is probably common for a lot of people where you can feel when, when somebody uses a word, sort of their, how they feel about it behind the word. And, mm-hmm. and hope is one of those words that when I hear people say it, it, most of the time hearing you say it sounds a bit different today after having this realization, maybe I'm resubscribing, maybe I'd subscribe to a new belief, uh, is that there's oftentimes a sense of like, well, I hope for this, but there's not a strong sense of, of confidence or a plan or a belief. So it's almost a bit empty. And maybe that's because that's, I've also not been a fan much like your dad of the word hope, more of a, a Yoda style. There is no try. There's only do type thing. Right. Uh, and, but hearing you say that makes me think that sometimes we could use it even, uh, the idea, giving people the vision or the dream or the idea of all of the different things that you're talking about, how to help a loved one through depression and in going back to awareness. If someone's aware that there is a possibility, there is a plan, it can inspire and, and move them to take action on those things versus thinking that there is no, you know, the opposite, which is no hope. And yeah. That sounds like a really, a really beautiful thing that you're doing there. How are, so I know you're doing this through the books. Are you um, offering any uh, other things? This is a great time to, this is a great time to plug yourself, plug away website, whatever you want to put out there, Instagram handle. This is where you just get to promote the heck out of yourself and tell everybody, uh, come check out how amazing I am. By the way, this, this podcast is probably longer than I think it would take most people to read your your book uh, it's very digestible i thoroughly enjoyed it uh so it is right on you know spot with what you were looking to accomplish in terms of of making it um uh digestible for people yeah thank you so much so yeah version one is out um i didn't want to wait um i wanted to overcome my perfectionism thingy thingy i don't know if you've heard of it um so i was like <laughs> so i was like you know what, um, it's not just good enough, but this can save people's lives, you know? And like, I'm not going to wait because I've, I've written a book before. It took me like a year or so to write it and another 18 months to get it like published with like the editing and then the formatting and then the this and then that. Like, so I was like, this need, like this is going to save people's lives. I need it out now. And that's why I like it's in the format that it is. Um, and then we are, we'll have the official launch that's coming up. So um, the, uh, the website is mysteryandmagicof.com. Um, my name is, is for Instagram, Anna Shalina. You'll find all the things that you need there. Like Instagram is probably where I keep mo- like most updated. Like sometimes I remember to keep my LinkedIn updated. I'm like, oh yeah, what's that thing again? <laughs> But um, Instagram is where it's at for me and mysteryandmagicof.com. And then we'll be launching the Mystery and Magic of Holistic Health very soon. So um, you'll find out on the Instagram and email lists kind of thing. And um, yeah, that's like 
the mental health, physical health, and relational health, which will align everything that, that could possibly be going wrong in your life, kind of thing. Um, so that's it. Pretty simple. Nostrianmagicoff.com and at Anna Shalina. And uh, this has been so awesome, Derek. Like you asked such good questions. Like you really, um, yeah, it was like, like it, it was beautiful. It was deep. It was personable. Um, and I don't know if you can tell, but like I'm completely lit up from like just talking about <laughs> everything from like God to metaphysics to depression to, you know, whatever, all these things. So yeah, I live for this and I'm super excited for what the message and the co-creations that we're going to do with this work is going to bring to people. Um, that's what, that's what gets me up in the morning kind of thing. Well, I appreciate you taking this time because I know we're in totally different parts of the world and it's been uh, so much fun you sharing your message and your your wisdom and your journey too. being, you know, being being able to open up like that. That's a, a really uh, powerful thing that you've done both today and in writing. And I'm very happy to um, uh, share this time together. So thank you so much. And uh, it's been, been a ton of fun. It has. Have an epic day. See you soon. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. 